Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Twitter at ESPN1000. This is Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN Chicago. away from the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 57, as the Eagles and Chiefs will square off. I'm Jeff Meller, along with Brian Hanley, here with you until 11 a.m. today, talking football. And, of course, this week, yesterday, the Senior Bowl took place. Bears offensive coordinator Luke Getze was the man in charge of leading the American team to a 27-10 loss, Brian. We joked about how... uh, Luke Getze's head coaching career was over before it started. But in all seriousness, it was a great opportunity for the Bears OC to get a little bit of head coaching experience. And also, maybe, just maybe, for the Bears staff to gain a little bit of insight into some of these prospects that the Bears could be looking at in the later rounds, of course, because generally you won't see first-round talent participating in the Senior Bowl. But nevertheless, we've talked over and over ad nauseum about how the Bears... Offseason is going to be critical for them moving forward, and it was a perfect opportunity for us to invite Mike Tannier, who does a great job for Football Outsiders, um, also a contributor for the New York Times, to invite him on and discuss what he saw down in Mobile this week. And I know he's uh, headed out to uh, Arizona for the Super Bowl as well. So uh, let's bring him on in and say hello. Mike, how was uh, Mobile? A quick trip down there this week. The weather was nice, and I say that because anyone who's been to Mobile knows you sometimes get three days of sideways rain. Um, so it was a great opportunity to see the players and, and not uh, need to dry off after seeing the players. It was a very productive and solid week down there. So aside from the nice weather, Mike, uh, what stood out to you? What can, in, I guess in particular, any impressions of Luke Getze, who you got to see a little bit firsthand there, and um, did he impress you a little bit at all? Or is there just, you know, is it so... So uh, tunnel-focused on the players that it's hard to get a feel for the coaching staffs. It's rare to be impressed by the coaching staff, except for the fact that, especially in this case, they were invited. Mm -hmm. Like in the past, it was the entire staff of some team, and they changed that up and said, okay, we're going to identify coordinators of interest and coaches of interest. And the fact that he gets an opportunity to go down there, that's big. That's important to him. Another thing that we do notice sometimes is you can tell – you can't tell when it's a really great practice, but you can tell when it's a really terrible practice. <laughs> I'm not going to single out any coaches from the past Hugh Jackson, but there were coaches <laughs> who went down there and it looked like the practices were not even run in any way professional. That was not the case with Getsy. They were all very crisp practices along the way. So, yeah, a mission accomplished in terms of the things you said when you introduced me. He got down there, he got a look at both of these teams, got to talk to a lot of these players, and hopefully that's going to help the Chicago Bears. And, Mike, as we sit here and everyone, uh, is it Will Anderson? Is it Jalen Carter? You know, how, how much, what kind of a haul can Poles get for the number one overall? And how many teams need quarterbacks? I love the, the story you wrote uh, this past week that deals with Justin Fields and, and whether he's still the guy for the Chicago Bears. And even the idea that some people would move him and use that number one overall pick and join the, join the, the parade for a quarterback – and you you laid it out there. I mean, if if you said if you start making phone calls and saying he's available, what do I hear for Justin Fields? What would the response be? And, and what what are you telling the league? But you, your first question is why? You don't ask 
the, the Bears that you think you're back. Why are you moving on from this guy? Why are you eager to start the clock over in the second year of the coaching regime, second year of the general manager regime? You, you know that they're sending you a message saying we don't think we can build around this guy, even though he's still young, he's still on an affordable contract, and he made some big highlights. So the moment anyone in the NFL hears this, they start low-balling. If someone called you and said, hey, I've got a used car I want to sell you, and like, wow, you really want to sell me that? I'm not going to pay a lot for it. Because if it was good, people would come to you, and that's how it's going to be there. And You know, when you talk about the trade hall, you know, a lot of the talk has probably been talked about in Chicago. The possibility that the Bears play their cards right, they could trade down twice in the first round. Could trade down twice to two quarterback needy teams in the first round, load up on extra draft picks this year, next year, and really restock the shelves around Justin Fields. It seems like a, such a much better option than going out there and saying, hey, pennies on the dollar here for this guy. Don't ask why we don't want him. We just want to get rid of him. Yeah, Mike, and you bring that up. I think, too, when you look at it, Ryan Poles, who it's his second year, it'll be his second draft. But the truth is, last year, it's been a long honeymoon period for him because once once Bears fans came to the realization that this was they were a, in complete teardown mode this year, um, it was all mm-hmm. demo and nothing was being rebuilt just yet, I think everybody gave right. him a, the benefit of the doubt. And because Justin Fields provided so many you know highlight reel plays throughout the season – it helped kind right. of sustain the Bears through an awful season. Bears fans through an awful right. season, but nevertheless, you look at what he's going to do now moving forward. It is just—it seems like the easier, the path of least resistance to go ahead and get the most assets possible for that number one pick. And here's the thing: he doesn't then incur any extra scrutiny because mm-hmm. you know what? I'm going to see what Justin Fields is, and if I need to go ahead and reset with a new quarterback going down the road, it really it, it's there's no blemish on Ryan Poles. Right, right. I didn't draft this particular guy. We gave him a full two-year evaluation. We spent the, the second year putting weapons around him, and if it fails, it fails. And that's no harm, no foul. Uh, the worst thing a general manager and a coach and a regime can do is think the honeymoon never ends. You know, they get the one-year honeymoon, and that's probably a good idea. You want to start rebuilding. You have to fix the mistakes of the past. The second year, you have to have forward momentum. A lot of these coaches and GMs don't think that. They think that, oh, well, we can restart the clock here. We can talk about this. Ownership gets impatient. you got a new team president there. They get impatient. You know, fans get impatient. And next thing you know, it's like, oh, I thought I had three years, four years to rebuild. No, you had three or four years to be like a Super Bowl contender, not to rebuild everything. So it would be in Poles' best interest to not play reset the clock, reboot, kick the can down the line, and say, no, we can build something now around Justin Fields and look at the extra draft capital I was able to find. And, Mike, when you, you know, it's not a great quarterback. There's no obvious number one overall pick or, or pick for the quarterback class, but. Knowing this league, you know that teams are going to fall in love with one of those three or four guys. And I've seen mock drafts where four are going in the top ten. Uh, mm-hmm. I've seen people speculating, you know, 12 teams for sure need a quarterback. And maybe it's 15 or yeah. 16. Where yep. are you on that? And, and you know, you, you didn't get to eyeball any of the top guys down at the Senior Bowl. But, you know, is Bryce Young too short to be a quarterback in the league? <laughs> I mean, these are the questions the front offices are, are trying to figure out right now. I think Bryce Young is a very good prospect he's not as good as as good a prospect as justin fields was coming out i think cj stroud is a good prospect i don't think he's as good a prospect as young or as fields when he was coming out i think will richardson's an interesting high upside josh allen kind of guy 
Uh, but, uh, you know, th- that's that. Like, you might need a year. You might wind up getting this guy and say, wait, he can't throw straight. That's a problem. I'm not a big Will Levis fan. I'm just going to let him sit there. You're right. There's lots of teams that need quarterbacks right now, and that, that becomes a great advantage in the draft. If you look at the Indianapolis Colts, not only do the Colts need a quarterback, but they can't afford to go get a veteran because they just got a veteran, Matt Ryan, and before that they got a veteran, Carson Wentz, and before that they got a veteran, uh, Philip Rivers. They can't do it anymore. <laughs> it's diminishing returns. So they've got to get the quarterback. You look at the Houston Texans. They've got to get the quarterback. They're sitting at number two. You look at the Carolina Panthers. This is another team that goofed around and said, hey, hey Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield. They've got to go the direction of getting the rookie. So the Bears should be looking at those teams saying, you've got no choice. Some of you got to leapfrog over the Texans and get your guy, and we're the team that can do that for you. Open up the purse strings, open up the draft picks, open up some veterans if you're willing to part with them. That's the direction this team could, should go in because, again, there is a shortage of quarterbacks, and there's going to be teams coming to the market for them. Mike Tanier joining us here on ESPN 1000. He writes for Football Outsiders, of course. Uh, he just fresh off a visit down to Mobile. He's headed to the Super Bowl this week. Mike, the one thing in Chicago that I've heard ad nauseum at this point is how the Eagles should be the blueprint for the Bears. And it's like we're Mm -hmm. such a quarterback-centric driven society. You know, it's just easy (laughs) to say, oh, Jalen Hurts, look at him, Justin Fields. It's a perfect comp. Now just (laughs) just put Justin Fields into uh, Jalen Hurts, and all of a sudden the Bears are going to – they'll be off and running. But can you just maybe – you know, maybe you disagree, but – I think what people don't actually appreciate is how freaking good this Eagles roster is top to bottom. (laughs) And, you know, Jalen Hurts, you know, he's a nice player, but, man, they have set him up to really succeed. I don't know if there's a person on the Bears offense who could start for the Eagles. I agree. You know, I don't think there is a person, certainly not at wide receiver. I'm probably missing somebody, maybe the tight end, perhaps, et cetera. I don't Um, know. I'd still take Goddard over Komet. Okay, okay, Komet's a good player, though. I don't want to sit here and rip Komet. There's no reason for that. Um, all right, so you have the Eagles, and I think the logic that fans might be seeing is, first they got Devontae Smith in the draft, then they got A.J. Brown in the trade. And that's logical, okay? And that's part of what got Jalen Hurts to take step one and step two towards being an MVP caliber candidate. The Eagles have a Hall of Fame center. Mm-hmm. They have a borderline Hall of Fame right tackle in Lane Johnson. And they've got a bunch of guys that they carefully drafted along the offensive line through the same you know, uh, GM administration. So like the, the, the GM stayed the same as Howie Roseman, and he brought in the Jordan Mulattos and the Landon Dickinsons and all. That takes a while to build. You know, that doesn't get built overnight. Uh, you know, I think the Bengals tried to build that overnight, and they kind of had some success with it this year. But every single thing, the Bears, the, the Bears needed everything. The Bears yes. need the receivers. They need two or three receivers. They need three or four offensive linemen. The Eagles already had much of that in place when Jalen Hurts came. They had the offensive linemen. They had some of the infrastructure. They had Goddard. That's what has to be done here. So this draft and this offseason should be about, I would say, the wide receiver one and two of the linemen or three of the linemen and get started in that direction and not expect an overnight Jalen Hurts success story. And 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 that's just the offense, Brian. Yeah, I I mean, and everyone's (laughs) saying, okay, Mike, if you, if you keep the first overall pick, even if you're, you're dealing down to the Houston or, or the Colts and dealing down yet again, um, are you in the, it's a very simple, it's Anderson or Carter, or do you think, you know, you go to free agency and start spending some of that money and, and it bolster the defensive line? How, how do you, how do you approach that if you're Ryan Poles? It's, it's very tricky because if you stand pat, I think Jalen Carter and Will Anderson help. 
but you needed more help. I mean, this was an opportunity to do something else. I can't, I can't see a scenario where you can't pick up the phone and get Ursay and Ballard in, in, in Indianapolis to say, Bryce Young, what are you giving me? And come over with a couple extra round picks. And then, you, yeah, you then turn around and get Jalen Carter. And then you then turn around and get Will Anderson. I'm not even going to say which one because they're fine. <laughs> Both of them are good. I'll give you one example of what might be available. T. Higgins of the Cincinnati Bengals, who has obviously had a strong season, part of a great receiving core. Bengals are always cash-strapped. They're having some cap issues. They're getting ready to pay Burrow $600 trillion uh, for his services. And they, they, might, they might move on from T. Higgins. So that's a guy you could get if you get some day two picks, for example. Maybe you get him for a second rounder. Maybe it costs you a future first rounder. But you get that extra first rounder from the Colts, et cetera. That's the kind of like one-two punch you could pull off. We got Jalen Carter on defense. Then we got T. Higgins. So we have a veteran wide receiver coming in right away. And then you can look at the rest of your draft class. That would be a good parlay to start things out for Ryan Poles. Mike, I do want to touch on the Super Bowl here, but before we get to that briefly, um, any players stand out for you this week down in Mobile that you think will be, um, if they get selected, you'll be like, I think that guy's going to be a player. There's a lot of them. There are a lot of running backs, first of all. I think Kenny McIntosh from Georgia is somebody everyone knows. We saw him you know, every Saturday on TV. Ty J. Spears from Tulane. Uh, from Northwestern, not by your way, Evan Hall really had a strong week, and he's a guy who's like a rusher receiver who can get a lot done there. Also a big week for offensive linemen, and I'll start with Ohio State's 375-pound DeWan Jones, uh, who I think got nicked up and didn't get to play in the game, but he was, he was destroying people earlier in the week. There's a lot of them. Blake Freeland from Brigham Young is like a six foot seven. 320-pound, super athletic, very technically sound guy. So uh, these are probably second-round picks, too. Second round, even third round, middle of second round, whatever. These are guys you can get up and put in the starters right away. Also, a ton of slot receivery-type talent down there. Uh, Tank Hall, his name is Tank, but he only weighs like 165 pounds. But he's a little bit of a cross between like a, a Devontae Smith, who's really skinny, and like one of those uh, you know, Julian Edelman-type slot guys where he can get it and he can make two moves and be gone. Uh, the young man from Michigan State, whose name did not pop up when I pushed my button here on my recorder, also had a strong game. So there's a lot of uh, day two talent at some positions that may not be as glamorous. You know, again, offensive line is not necessarily glamorous. Oh, cornerbacks. The cornerbacks are amazing. There's like 20 of them. So if you, if you want to fix the defense with cornerback, you can do that second round, third round, fourth round. A lot of talent at that position as well. 165 pounds or 375. I don't know which one stuns me more in the NFL. I wanted to get a, I wanted to get a picture of them next to each other, and it like <laughs> never really materialized. But, yeah, a man named Tank, who, again, I have it officially here, 163 pounds. Oh, wow. Um, but obviously he, he, he can move. And then uh, he, he, when you stood DeWan Jones of Ohio State next to the other linemen, the other linemen look like his baby brothers. So that's how big that guy is. I feel like DeWan Jones has had to have been called tiny at least once in his life as well. So <laughs> it's just, you know, it's the perfect. It's either, it either fits yeah. you perfectly or it's the complete and opposite. You can go the oxymoronic yeah. way as well. Uh, all right, Mike, <laughs> Super Bowl next Sunday. We've got Chiefs and Eagles. Good matchup. But, of course, uh, Patrick Mahomes, and this one's going to be huge for any type of legacy building for him going forward. If he, you know, we had the retirement of Tom Brady this week, at least for now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Mahomes, the conversation shifts to him and being the best quarterback in the league right now. What do you anticipate playing out next Sunday? Next Sunday, we have to look at his health. We're going to be like hemming and hawing for the next week, as we have for the last week about how healthy he is. I have a funny feeling he'll probably start the game around 90%. 
which means he'll be good to go. He won't be the gimpy guy. We'll see what happens if he takes a hit or two. I think that was an issue in the league championship game as well. I think he was starting to fade a little bit. One of the things to look at for Mahomes is we're all keeping an eye on some of his receivers as well. Kadarius Toney is questionable right now. Nicole Hardman is almost definitely out. Uh, I don't know. I have not got a recent update on Juju Smith-Schuster. They need a mostly healthy Mahomes, and they need somebody besides Kelsey and Marquez Valdez-Cantling to throw to to, uh, to to be able to face off against a, an opponent of this caliber. They need a Chase Claypool is what you're telling me. What? No. Oh, yeah, heavens. <laughs> Poor Chase. We're still waiting for that one. We're, we're crossing our fingers and hoping that plays out better here in Chicago. Mike Tanier, as always, we appreciate the time. Great stuff. Uh, if you missed it, check out, as Mike mentioned, uh, or Brian mentioned, Mike just wrote about the Justin Fields paradox on Football Outsiders. So go check it out. Uh, also, the Sean Payton Gambit, which, uh, you know what? Thoughts on Payton. Can he quickly, Mike, uh, before we let you go, can he fix Russell Wilson? I don't know if he can fix Russell Wilson, but I am almost certain none of the other coaches, all the young masterminds, Dane Steacham here out in, in Philadelphia, or Mike Kafka or any of the guys, they weren't going to fix Russell Wilson. I think Sean Payton can come in and say, I'm a guy you have to listen to. I kept Drew Brees going until he was 40. Pay attention to me. And that could break through some of Russell Wilson's you know, Planet Ross mentality right now. If Payton can't do it, no one can but I'm not sure if he can. Good stuff. Mike Tanier, follow him on Twitter at Mike Tanier. Thanks again, Mike. We appreciate it, man. You got it. All right, Bryce. So as we shift a little bit to, I want you know what? I want to ask you, keep it on football for a second here. When we come back, uh, your thoughts and reactions to Tom Brady hanging up for a second time. I want to pick your brain about that coming up next. Listen to us now, live on the ESPN Chicago app. This is Chicago's Home for Sports, ESPN Chicago. Meller and Hanley hanging out with you till 11 o'clock today here on ESPN 1000, 100.3 HD2 and the ESPN Chicago app. You can watch us on Twitch today and every day, twitch.tv slash ESPN 1000 Chicago, brought to you by DraftKings. All right, Bryce. So earlier this week, uh, we got Tom Brady retiring for the second time. He did it in a much briefer manner than he did last season. And I'm curious to know what your initial reaction was to Tom Brady finally uh, saying goodbye. Do you think this one sticks? Well, uh, during the break, I was checking my GoFundMe page because I'm trying to buy the sand from the beach. Ugh. Where did you see this? I, oh, oh, I, I saw. You know what? Here, for those who didn't, let me. Uh, I'll, I'll let them hear it. This is uh, oh, Better Caroline, who posted on Instagram after Tom Brady's retirement. She, you know, I, I think most people saw Tom Brady's message, his quick video on Instagram, and then this is a, I believe, Florida native who then sought out the spots where Tom Brady did his IG post from. Good morning, guys. Good afternoon, guys. Um, This is really obviously a tough day for a lot of us. I was a Tom Brady fan for a really long time, and I'm actually sitting exactly where he retired this morning. You can see the building, they're the exact same. It was last year when he retired. I was hyperventilating crying last year, and today, I don't really give a because you ruined your family to get smacked in a wild card game. Every dollar that I bet on you this season that I lost, I will be making back because I'm going to sell the sand that you sat on as you retired. So thank you, Tom Brady. Yes, I saw it, Bri. 
she thinks she's going to get men. If she does, then the world is off its axis. She's asking $100,000 for said sand. I don't know how much she scooped up. I mean, she, it, I didn't know eBay was still a thing. She's going to go auction her off on eBay. I mean, how old are you? A hundred? What the hell? No, it just when I, you know, just when you think, eh, the only question, you know, when you, Whenever you underestimate the stupidity of people oh out God there, Lord. you you go out and find that it's not possible. If if this sells for, I, I, you I, know, anything more, that, I mean, eh, whatever. If someone wants to placate her and throw twenty dollars her way, fine. But um, yeah, the, the absurdity. I don't know. And, and it does. There's a part of me too that gets irritated that it has entered the conversation point, right? But um, well, because you know she's right there on Instagram or she's out on social media. You know she can be the carnival barker. It's the actual yeah. sand where he sat. You know, did she mark off how you know where his rear end was? Or just dug up that? Did she have a little metal detector out there to see if she found some spare coins that dropped out of his pocket? Um, and my here's another question: Sean Payton and and Tom Brady will will. Sean Payton command anywhere near the TV money that Tom Brady's going to get from Fox. I mean, thirty-seven and a half million dollars a year for ten years. Do you uh, do you think he enters the booth? He's got the deal in place, but there's lots of people who don't believe, including Joe Buck, you know, who gave an interview and said right. that there's lots of people at Fox who are skeptical that Tom Brady ever actually enters the booth for them. Do you think he will? I think he goes uh, to answer a question of this one sticking. It's going to stick. And I would guess he's going to give it a year. I mean, look, it's not like he has to rush to the Tampa airport and fly commercial. He's got the private jets. Yeah, basically, he, he shows up the day before. He doesn't have to get there on Friday and talk to the coaches. I'm sure whatever he wants to do, they'll be happy doing it. And the Tony Romo love when he was you know, first signed and everyone's infatuated with Tony Romo. And this year, it's like, did the guy put in? an ounce of preparation for any of the uh, any of the the color work that he did it, it's like he's just counting his money he doesn't even try anymore it's just ridiculous i mean uh, i'll take troy aikman at, at half of what troy, uh, tony romo's making but the, the the money in the booth is as stupid as it comes but i mean look i know mike francesca had thoughts about it. basically he just gets a longevity award that it, he's not and I would agree that Joe Montana is the best Super Bowl quarterback uh, because of what he did, and in in a four year span, what he did at that level. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can't the longevity. You have to give him credit for that. I mean, no one getting sticks around to forty five. So right there, he's in a class by himself, right? So yeah, what's you know when I was thinking about it, the one thing that stood out to me when you go through Tom Brady's career. The excellence that really stands out to your point, it's, it's not just the longevity, but it is in some ways the simplicity in which he was able to beat teams. And it's been said over, over and over again by lots of great NFL analysts. You know, he, he, it was, uh, you know, a thousand cuts, right? He would beat yeah. you, you know, with short passes down the field. Uh, occasionally there would be something where he would threaten you, you know, with whether it was in the heyday with Randy Moss or going down the seam to Gronk. But, there, there aren't a whole lot for Tom Brady. If you look through his career, he doesn't have the awe factor that like what Patrick Mahomes is bringing to the Super Bowl. Like Mahomes makes everything he does look so simple. Brady was able, like mentally, he would you know get to the line and know beforehand where, he, yep. based on your coverage, like and that is a skill that in some ways it's it, it doesn't stand out the way the physical ability that so many people who were wowed by you know, 
do when you're watching a football game. Like, you know, look through Cam, Norton, Cam Newton's uh, abbreviated career, right? You could probably find, on, you know, in terms of highlights, highlight real plays, Cam Newton probably did more than Tom Brady ever did in his career. But they're not even comparable when we're talking about what they were able to accomplish. I think that's the one thing that I was thinking about. Tom Brady did it in a simplistic fashion, and he did it for over 20 years. And it's, I don't know, you, you look at today's game, you know, you, Patrick Mahomes is the only person you, you look at right now, and, and you could even try and, you know, do the mental gymnastics to say, yep. could he get anything close to the type of career that Brady's been able to do? I, you know, couldn't have said it better myself, and I was thinking the same thing. You just, you, you're in awe of Mahomes, and he does the same thing. He walks up. You know, gets under center, takes one look, and knows exactly what he's seeing, and just picks it apart and and makes it look effortless, right? Mm-hmm. And and Brady did the same thing. And uh, the, the guy I felt worse for this this week is JJ Watt because now Brady will be part of that Hall of Fame class in twenty twenty eight, and so JJ Watt, no one will be talking to JJ Watt. It'll all be about Tom Brady. And do you really need to wait five years for Tom Brady? Or, or even J.J. Watt, but Tom Brady in particular, can't you just say, uh, you know, we know where this is going. Let's just expedite it. So I'm trying to, like, I know the NHL waived it for Gretzky, right? Mm-hmm. Um, um, I'm trying to think, any other examples of players who had it waived for them? I don't believe so. Is right? Gretzky the only one? You know, um, yeah. you know, because, like, Brady in some ways is, you know, he is the go to football. I think that's undeniable. But I think... Still, Gretzky is the goat of goats. When you look at mm-hmm. like like the best in their sport at what they were able to do and accomplish, you know the 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 ridiculous statistical achievements that Wayne Gretzky was able to achieve. You know the I, the, the best one, of course, is always that he has more assists than any other player has points <laughs> in the history of the NHL, which is just <laughs> Think absurd. About that. Yeah, right. But, uh, you know, so that you know that's why. Um, he clearly had, but that's a good point. Should the NFL, you know what? They won't because I think they'll be concerned about obviously him potentially returning. But could you a year, a year from now say, okay, you know what? He's been out of the game for a year. Let's just waive the waiting period and put him right into Canton. Well, he might be in the broadcast hall of fame before then. So <laughs> don't get ahead of yourself. That's, that's <laughs> what got people paying Tony Romo $18 million per year. You know, what's interesting too. You brought it up. So I just want to, to close the loop here. Um, Tony Romo, how about the report from Andrew Marchand in the New York Post about how CBS at the beginning of the season had an intervention with him to address, you know, what had gone wrong the previous year. And despite the fact that they had they had an intervention before the season began, we're now here where we're at. And I don't think it's ever been more apparent that Tony Romo is receiving a lot of criticism for the fact that he doesn't seem like he's someone who does enough homework to no. have that gig. And when he said last week the injury to Patrick Mahomes is really freedom mentally, like what the hell are you? T- what does that even mean? I mean, what do you, what are you doing? I think this. Uh, is, I think it's a case of a guy who you know he brought enthusiasm into the booth, which was a nice change of pace, something that we hadn't seen enough of when he did enter the booth, and so that was good. And Jim Nance was clearly energized because Phil Sims yeah. didn't have that same type of you know uh, love and enthusiasm for the game, but. I think what we also now have seen a couple of years later is that Tony Romo was living off of his 
knowledge, his, his working knowledge of the league because he had just been a part of the league the previous season. And so now that he's forced to do a little bit of homework, that's something that he was never asked to do, I don't believe, right? Now, if he wants to get better at it, he's, it's going to be incumbent on him to make that change, put in more effort. But let's be honest, when you're already getting paid a million dollars for every week that you go out and do a game, you know, is the motivation going to be there for him? Well, I mean, look, if they have any pride in what you're doing, what no matter, uh, I get, uh, look, uh, CBS has to pay him no matter. So yes. if, if that's his approach and he's like, okay, nice intervention, but I'll just keep doing what I'm doing and it won't be a lot of effort for me, but the checks still have to come and, you know, that, that direct deposit still works. Good luck. Uh, I, I would hope that he has more pride than that. Well, the the good news is for fans out there, you don't have to worry about Tony Romo doing this year's Super Bowl. That will be by Fox as uh, Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson will be on the call. Let's continue to talk about the Super Bowl. Let's take an early look at some of the Super Bowl prop bets available. Teddy Greenstein of PointsBet joins us. This is Chicago's Home for Sports. ESPN Chicago. Listen now in HD on our app and on ESPN 1000. From the biggest gambling day of the year, of course, I'm talking about the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 57 in Arizona. The Chiefs will take on the Philadelphia Eagles, which made it no better time than for us to go ahead and check in with points bets. Teddy Greenstein to get us up to date on what the line looks like right now, how it opens, some of the movement, some of the Super Bowl prop bets, all that good stuff. And of course, we need his expertise to see if the AFC can get their sixth straight win in the Pro Bowl games. Let's bring him in right now. Teddy Greenstein, what's the Pro Bowl pick, Teddy? <laughs> the Pro Bowl pick. Um, I'll take the Mannings to uh, over-under on, uh, on the number of laughs that they get today. I think that is definitely the Pro Bowl pick. Ah, but will they be real laughs or will be will they be fake chuckles? <laughs> That's the question. I'm going to definitely fake chuckles. Yes. chuckles. A few guffaws, but, but mostly the fake stuff, definitely. Did uh, did the books lose money on the dodgeball wagers? <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at the tweet, man. I'm sorry if you've already mentioned it 12 times on the show, but can you give me a quick summary of that one? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I was uh, being facetious, as we say, yeah. That would be the first three steps of the program. I had uh, if you're I, betting on dodgeball. I had, I had the over on Saquon Barkley getting hit in the face at point five. So I was a big. I cashed okay. in late. It was a big win for me, Teddy. Oh, that's huge. Yeah, I mean, yesterday NHL All Star game was kind of sneaky. I mean, I had my eye on a ton of basketball. It was UFC. I mean, for a day without real football, I felt like yesterday was a massive betting day. Indiana Purdue was interesting with. The Hoosiers holding on, but a lot of people made money on the Purdue live money line, which got up to, I think, like plus eight and a half. Wow. So let's uh, turn to the main event, of course, for next Sunday, though. So how did the line open and where are we at right now as the Chiefs take on the Eagles? Indeed, man. So, Jeff, it's so unusual for this to happen, for there to be such a flip um, so quickly. But we opened with uh, Kansas City favored by two and a half. And that lasted for about 12 seconds. Before long, really less than an hour, the teams had flipped and we saw a a four or five point swing. So um, very interesting move here that the traders definitely thought that with Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl, Kansas City would be favored. And it was almost a field goal. But um, Philly, a lot of money poured in there. And even now we're looking at it. So 69 
percent nice. of the bets um, are on Philly and 81 percent of the handle. So big liability uh, there on Philly. So right now we've um, we've got Philly favored by one and a half. And I think a lot of people are surprised by this because it is Patrick Mahomes, but certainly a lot of justification for the Eagles because they have looked dominant in the playoffs. And, you know, as they say, their roster two through 53 is a lot better than Kansas City's. And we'll tell you, when you look at that, uh, it most a lot of times you'll see the percentage of, of bets uh, will be high and then the actual money will be, you know, disparate. But when you have 69 and 81, I mean, that's too much light thinking for me. But that, that, that and the crazy swing within hours, um, yeah. that's that's substantial. That's huge to go from you know, three and a half, four points within a day. You know, Brian, there's a lot of different ways to think of this. Um, one, you can look at it. You can say, OK, our traders, our smartest minds thought Casey should be favored by two and a half points. So what does that tell you? Uh, or you can look at, you know, the fact that, you know, Philly was only favored by two and a half points in the last playoff game against San Fran and Philly blew them out. And we had like 87% of the money on Philly. So the public is sometimes right. You know, the Super Bowl that I always think about is just a couple years ago when it was Tampa Bay against Kansas city. And it was shortly after I'd started a points bet. And this one fascinated me, you know, the chiefs we had as a three point favorite, and the Chiefs were taking like eight, 85% of the money. So I kept asking our traders, why aren't we raising this line to three and a half or four to try to stimulate more interest on the Bucks?" And basically their answer was, this is the line we are posting because we think we can make the most money on this. And of course, the traders were exactly right. And Tampa Bay won 31 to nine. So when you're, if you're going to err, you want to err on the side of being with the book. And in that case, that would be with the Chiefs. But I can't decide what I'm picking. I have a, a future on Philly, so I make about, you know, I make four figures if Philly wins. So the smart play is probably for me to hedge with Kansas City. Mm-hmm. But I do think Philly's better. I think Philly's stronger. And if you, you know, gun on my head right now, I would definitely take the Eagles. Interesting. Teddy Greenstein of Points Bet joining us here on ESPN 1000. All right. So we're a week away. And I guess my question is Is there any value if you have a good lean on this one? Is there any value, value to be had? waiting until next week, next Sunday, or do you yeah. think there's an advantage to maybe trying to bet early here based on what the line goes to? I would advise if you like the Chiefs to take them now um, because right now you're getting a point and a half, and most people think this could end up around a pick uh at kickoff. Uh, if you're looking at the total and I'm looking at the under, I'm going to wait because so much of the public bets the over. So right now – the total is 50 and a half, and I could absolutely see that going up to 51 or 51 and a half. I think as you get closer to kickoff, you know, fans are just excited, man. They want to see a lot of points. So uh, they're going to jam the over, which, which probably means that we're going to take it up to 51 or 51 and a half. Now, why do I like the under? In part because of trends here. Four straight unders have hit in the Super Bowl. Um, the Chiefs don't have a great receiving core. Jalen Hurts, there's still concern about his shoulder, and the Eagles are mainly a running team. So right now, the under is really what I'm looking at, plus you know, a million props. <laughs> yeah, and, and speaking of the million props, if you've never been in Vegas in a sports book on Super Bowl Sunday, you haven't experienced you know people who are betting on the uh, length of the, uh, the the Star-Spangled Banner, right? <laughs> there, there's yep. just odd cheers that go up because 
everyone's bet every prop possible. And you're sitting there going, what, what happened? What I missed? Right. Because someone picked up four <laughs> yards on a run. But right. boy, well, just, Brian, just I got trying one for you. We, we, we've posted, I was checking this out, our special teams props. So uh, Brett Kearns over his total for uh, longest punt, 52 and a half. Tommy Townsend, 56 and a half is, is wow. over under for a punt. So, yes, people in Vegas and people just at your Super Bowl parties are going to be cheering over punts this year. Love How do you even whittle through all that? I mean, you have to spend two days just you get coming up with five or six if you really want to get serious about it. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, the ones I'm looking at, there's a lot of interest right now in Miles Sanders. I think a lot of people feel like Miles Sanders is going to have a big day. But, you know, for me, that Isaiah Pacheco, I think that guy is is absolutely spectacular. So I'm looking at his numbers now. His, his receiving total is 15 and a half yards. His rushing total is 50.5. I mean, you guys have seen the burst, the effort he has. Um, you know, he, he was a lesser-known player out of Rutgers. He didn't even do that much in his college career. But that guy is the truth. And, like, uh, you know, Jarek McKinnon is, uh, is kind of an afterthought now on the Chiefs offense. So I'll probably do something with Pacheco. And then a very popular bet so far, guys, is MVP Travis Kelsey. Plus 1,100. That's the lowest odds for a tight end since Gronk. Um, and, you know, people assume quarterbacks always win this, but that's not the case. Cooper Cup won it last year. Mm-hmm. So as Travis Kelsey can score two touchdowns plus 1,100, it looks pretty good. I like where your head's at with Pacheco. You said, was, did you say 15 and a half receiving yards? Yeah, so, he's at uh, 15 and a half receiving yards, 50.5 on the rush. Like the over there, because I do think they've finally recognized that, especially in the playoffs here. You saw he set uh, a high last week with five catches for 59 receiving yards. That was more than he did all season long. But I think they're finally yeah. utilizing him more. Early in the season, he really wasn't a featured player for them. But I think that's, yes. a, that's a good call to take a look at Pacheco's uh, – uh, over on the receiving yards, too, because like you just said, the way he runs, I mean, a broken tackle, and he's going to hit it on one catch. So, um, yeah, he is definitely a fun player to watch and somebody who I think the uh, average fan is going to be introduced to on Super Bowl Sunday this next week here. What else you got? What's, uh, what are some of those, that, you know, I think that one thing that always gets your casual sports fan excited, Teddy, is the cross-sports bets because those are, you know, those are prevalent on Super Bowl Sunday like no other day of the year where you yeah. get all these things tied in. What are some of the cool things you, ha- you guys have going on at PointsBet? Not yet. So this is the week that we, uh, that, that we you know, compose a lot of those. Okay. The thing with the cross-sport is, like, we have to wait to price them, you know, because if we're going to do – um, I don't know, LeBron James points versus Patrick Mahomes rushing yards or whatever it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have to wait till it gets closer on the NBA front. But, um, hey, don't be shy. If you have any betting ideas for that, I- I'll certainly put some in um, tied into the waste management. So, or as they call it now, the WM Phoenix Open. <laughs> so everything takes place in the Valley this year, both the golf tournament and the Super Bowl. So people are going to certainly be looking at, you know, stuff like Jalen Hurts, um, touchdown passes versus uh, John Ron birdie, stuff like that. Yeah. Patrick Williams, uh, total points. No. <laughs> Stop it, Brian. Okay. You, you did, you did reference LeBron James. He, um, he is uh, closing in on uh, setting the all time scoring record in the NBA. Anything cool going on with him on points bet this week? Yeah. So LeBron needs, is it 36? 36. Yeah. 36. So he is plus 130 to get that in the next game, which is February 7th. He's got a couple days to relax here against the Thunder at home. 
So that implies that he's got about a about forty percent chance to get it done there. The next game is against the Bucks on February 9th, and that is minus one sixty five. And then you know there's some props uh, in case he twists an ankle if he if he doesn't score in in those two games. But that's an interesting one. Plus one thirty for the next game, minus one sixty five for the following, and then also method of record breaking point. We've got three pointer, free throw, layup, dunk, and other. I know a lot of people are hoping there's going to be a sky hook as a shout out to Kareem, <laughs> but I think the, the the other also includes you know lay in finger roll shots like that. Um, so uh, I, I think Dunk is going to get a lot of action at plus five hundred, which is what people are going to certainly going to want to see. Anytime touchdown scores. A couple of weeks ago, he gave us all the quarterbacks. He said it was worth putting some money on Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I mean, do you even see him taking a, a possibility of taking it in the end zone? Yeah, let's see what uh, let's see what he's got cooking there. So Mahomes is plus five hundred. Yeah, you know, in the playoffs, I do love taking quarterbacks because I feel like you know teams will just say, "Hey, I, I don't care if there's a slight chance of injury here. We, we got to get in the end zone one way or the other." Um, so Mahomes at plus five hundred is an interesting one. And let me look at Hertz minus one fifteen. I think he started. Um, before the before the last playoff game uh, against the 49ers, I saw him maybe at plus 115, and by kickoff he was minus 125. So incredibly likely that Jalen Hurts gets in the end zone. I think there's pretty good value there even at minus 115. Good stuff, Teddy. Any uh, any last things before we spring you? Anything on your mind today, or are you just all focused in on the Super Bowl next week? Yeah, we'll certainly be betting a lot of hoops today. We'll certainly uh, look at some NBA stuff. We'll look at LeBron. And, uh, yeah, I mean, if anybody wants to open a points bet account, definitely hit me up by text. I've got this code. It's a 100% match. So at Teddy Greenstein on Twitter, um, it's going to be a great week ahead, guys. Good stuff, Teddy. Get a Marquette Final Four future. There's some value. (laughs) Done, Brian. I'm in for that. Bring out a Hoya. (laughs) Teddy, as always, we appreciate it, man. Enjoyed it a ton, guys. Great. Take it easy. Teddy Greenstein of PointsBet Sportsbook joining us here on ESPN 1000. I'm Jeff Meller along with Brian Hanley. All right, we're going to wrap things up here, but of course we should address the passing of a Blackhawks legend. We'll do that when we come back on ESPN 1000. If you miss something, get the podcast on the ESPN Chicago app. This is ESPN Chicago, Chicago's home for sports. Whoever lace up the skates for the Chicago Blackhawks. Hall of Famer Bobby Hull died at the age of 84 earlier in the week. And, Bri, it has been a sordid legacy to say the least because while he was undeniably one of the greatest players to ever play for the Hawks, he also had a, I would say, Beyond having an uncomfortable conversation, but some pretty heinous accusations and lots of other rumors surrounding him off the ice. Uh, I'll cede the floor to you because uh, you obviously had, uh, having covered the Hawks for a long, long time, I would imagine had far more interactions. Well, it is a young, you know, as a 10, 11, 12 year old, 
uh, Bobby Hall, Stan Makita, Tony Esposito, and and that those Hawks teams made me fall in love with with the game and the Hawks, right? And at the time, the Bears were terrible. Uh, spoiler alert: uh, it's not a recent thing with the Bears. And I was a uh, you know the '69 Cubs crushed my nine year old heart. But you know the Cubs and Blackhawks were the teams, and the Bulls were in their infancy. So I I mean I didn't know what kind of guy uh, Bobby Hall was. I just knew him what kind of player was and and. If your dad got tickets to a Hawks game, even if you're sitting behind a uh, pillar, obstructive view, you're in the building. The place was electric, the old stadium. And so I was crushed when Arthur Wirtz wouldn't pay him his million bucks that he got from Winnipeg and, and, and leaving the NHL. But that said, fast forward decades after the fact when I was covering the team, um, yeah, I, I will just tell you this. Bill Wirtz once told me he knew every police chief within, within 100 miles of the city of Chicago because of Bobby Hall. And... Of on the ice and and more specifically to how much he impacted the organization before he became an ambassador, he was persona non grata. Uh, Bob Pulford, the then GM, didn't want Bobby Hall anywhere around the place. Uh, he knew what kind of guy he was, and you know that the, the allegations of uh, spousal abuse and and the drinking and everything else, and and well detailed and documented oh, in, in books and documentaries. So yeah, yeah. I mean, he was he just he was not a ple- to be to be diplomatic. He was not a pleasant man, and to you know you you can go find chapter or verse on what kind of human being he was. Um, but the fact of the matter is, Brett Hall in his prime was a free agent. And the Blackhawks, then Bill Wirtz, was prepared to sign Brett Hall. This is July, late uh, July of 1998, and I was covering the team and working the phones that night. And two things happened. Uh, Pulley finally got into Bill Wirtz's ear and told him, you know, why you shouldn't sign Brett Hall because of Bobby. You'd have to live with Bobby. And then when Brett Hall didn't come in, he was supposed to meet Bill Wirtz for lunch like the day previous to, to come in, you know, tell Bill Wirtz how you know, thankful he was that he was going to get all the Hawks money and basically kiss Bill Wirtz's ring. Well, he, didn't, he blew off the lunch. So they switched, shifted gears late that night and uh, decided to sign Doug Gilmore, the ghost of Doug Gilmore, for $6 million a year. Um, and that lasted two years. And Doug Gil- Gilmore is a, a t- terrific guy. I really enjoyed covering him. But, it, you know, that was not Brett Hall in his prime. So Bobby, being Bobby and being the guy that he was, uh, at least in Bob Pulford's eyes, uh, probably cost Brett cost the Blackhawks Brett Hall for many many years, and who knows what that would have looked like, um, you know, in the late in nineteen ninety eight, yeah. moving into the two thousands. I would imagine it would have uh, definitely been a dramatically different Blackhawks era had Brett Hull actually come and played for the same team that his father did. It's unfortunate, and you know, I know some people push back who are uncomfortable with the conversation because they don't want to hear, you know, the domestic abuse, you know. Mm-hmm. And but you know, I'll continue to say when he comes up, it sucks. But you know what? He brought it upon himself. And everything I know about Bobby Hull, the conversations I've had with people who know better than I do, um, you know, never really showed any contrition for anything. Nope. And to nope. your point about, you know, Wirtz knowing all the local police chiefs, I mean, you know, there's a reason why, you know, some of those stories make their way to, you know, our circle, right? Why we're aware of what they well, And that was back in the day when a police chief might pick up the phone and call the Hawks and say, come get your guy. We're yeah. Not, we, you know, you keep it quiet. We're not going to charge him. But, you know, Bill Wirtz is like, yeah, we, we, you know, we always had to get hit, you know, go I, get him. My takeaway is think about this, uh, you know, one of the best players in his sport ever, um, what you see and hopefully think we, I hope things are getting better, but it just goes to show how enabled 
you know, sports heroes can be, right? And yep. it's unfortunate. And um, really, you know, it, he did a lot of great things for the game, but he did a lot of awful things off the ice. And, um, you know, unfortunately, that is his lasting legacy for me. It's part. I mean, it's part and parcel of his obituary. I know people didn't want any any of the negative stuff written about, but you know, you got to you, you can't just whitewash that. You no. can't just you know that's all part and parcel of his life, and and many many people unfortunately lived it and knew well too uh, too well what what kind of person he was. Yeah, I'll I'll close with this, Brian, as we wrap things up here. You know, he's responsible for his own legacy, and if not now, I'll be honest. I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of days in the future where we continue to talk about Bobby Hole because of what he did. Amen. That, that does it for us. Thanks for listening, folks. Meller and Hanley on ESPN 1000.